0: The Ask N.T. write Anything podcast. Hello and welcome. I'm Justin Briley, sitting down with Tom Wright once again to ask him your questions. The show brought to you by Premier in partnership with SBCK and N.T. write Online. And already episode 20 of the podcast, believe it or not, we'll be approaching our first year anniversary uh, this autumn. Now, today, Tom's going to be tackling questions about the place of Israel and the return of Jesus. Just another completely uncontroversial issue to get our teeth into today. But if you'd like more episodes, updates, want to ask a question yourself for a future programme as ever, the place to do that is register at AskNTWrite.com. Now we've got some exciting news. Uh, Tom is moving. Yes, this was announced just the other week. Uh, News came through that Tom has been appointed Senior Research Fellow at Wycliffe Hall at the University of Oxford as he retires from his position as Research Professor of New Testament and Early Christianity at St Mary's College in St Andrews, Scotland. Uh, so that's going to be very exciting. Uh, it'll mean Tom's a little bit closer to home when it comes to where we record these podcasts here in London at Premier Christian Radio. Um, but uh, these were the words of uh, Reverend Dr Michael Lloyd, Principal of Whitcliffe Hall, on the announcement of his taking up that position at Wycliffe Hall. He said, we're delighted that Tom will be joining us. Wycliffe aspire to be a centre for the intellectual renewal of the church and through the church of society. I can think of no one who's better able to help us make that aspiration a reality. Tom has reshaped the field of New Testament studies. He's defended the historicity of Jesus' resurrection with a thoroughness and sophistication never before attempted and his impact reaches far beyond the boundaries of the church by his engagement with the traditional and new forms of media. That's right, well those new forms of media include podcasts of course, uh, So uh, I'm glad that you're with us for this week's edition of the Ask Anti-Write Anything podcast. And just before we get into today's episode, well done to the winners of Paul, a biography, signed editions of Tom's book on Paul coming your way, as well as a a signed edition of my own book, Unbelievable. Why after 10 years of talking with atheists, I'm still a Christian. Yes, it is quite a mouthful. Um, But it was, let me see, uh, Todd in Ohio, Mark in Michigan and Graham in Peterborough. Who were the winners of that prize draw? That was simply because they are signed-up newsletter subscribers. So if you want to be in with a chance of winning a book in the next draw we do, then do make sure to get yourself signed up over at AskNTWrite.com. Uh, a lovely message actually from Todd, who was one of those winners, um, saying, I love the Ask NT Write Anything podcast. Appreciate your interaction and care with which you come to each episode and your listeners. I remember hearing Tom Wright for the first time in Asbury Theological Seminary in 99 or 2000. The chapel was packed and I was standing on the stairs going up to the balcony. He spoke of Jesus, heaven, the resurrection, and the kingdom of God. I had my own strangely warmed heart moment, Wesley Humor as I stood there hanging on every word. Quick story to share. I am a United Methodist pastor in Columbus, Ohio. My lead pastor and myself recommended Surprised by Hope to a friend in our congregation. Jim is a retired college professor and he came to me a few weeks later and said, I've grown up in the church for over 67 years and this is the first time I'm hearing about heaven, resurrection and the kingdom of God. In three weeks... He will be leading a book discussion on Dr. Wright's book and is so excited to share it. I've also shared the Ask NT Write Anything podcast with him too. So may I ask a request? I've been deep into my own copy of Dr. Wright's Paul Biography. And while I'd absolutely love to have an autographed copy, and I can't believe I'm asking this, would it be possible for Tom to sign it to Jim? I'm so thankful for Jim and how the Holy Spirit has been working in his life the last few years. If there's any way to do that, I'd be very very grateful. Looking forward to digging into your book too, Justin. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Todd. And yes, we'll make sure that Paul Biography gets signed by Tom to Jim specifically. And that's very kind of you to pass it on to him. I'm sure he'll deeply appreciate it. Again, if you want to make sure your name is in the hat for any future prize draws, do get subscribed as uh, Todd and Paul and Graham all are to the Ask Write Anything newsletter. And you also get those great updates that we send every few weeks. Uh, AskNTWrite.com is the place to go for now. Let's get into today's edition of the show.
1: Great to have you back with us. Thank you. Good to
0: be here. Today's edition of the program, Tom. And... Um, You've been to Israel, I'm sure, at least a few times, I imagine, in your life. mm, A
1: dozen or so, yes, yes. Um, What for you is special about going to that particular place? I I have vivid memories of my first time in Israel. I spent three months there in spring uh, 1989. I had a sabbatical from Oxford, and Mm. I was uh, asked to go and teach at the Hebrew University. And I stayed at St. George's um, cathedral in jerusalem just north of the damascus gate and where the the then dean was an old friend of mine from from way back and so he'd said if you have the chance come and stay and i my rent was to to take services for him on a wednesday morning so that he could have a lie-in <laughs> which was fine i was very happy to do that sounds like um, a good deal it yeah. was a very good deal and you don't have to spend too long coming from where i do before you realize that this, this place is different this this is quite unlike anywhere else um and particularly having grown up in the west with the sort of traditions of democracy which kind of nudge you into thinking that if there is a god and if he was going to act in the world he ought to do the same everywhere um, you know it ought, ought to be sort of democratic and well organized when you're in jerusalem it makes sense you just feel that it makes sense to think ah mm. No, actually, this is the middle of everything. This Mm -hmm. is where geographically all the continents come together. So it's not surprising there have been wars and rumors of wars there Mm -hmm. forever. It's almost as though it's right on all the fault lines, culturally, Mm -hmm. historically, geographically. So that then it makes sense to say maybe if God were to do what he needs to do, to help the world turn its great corner, well, to make the world turn its great corner, maybe it does make sense that it happen, happened here. Mm. And, and having grown up rather sneering at those medieval maps which had Jerusalem as the center of the world, I began to think, no, actually, they were probably right. Yes. And we who have drawn our maps so that they highlight Western Europe <laughs> as though, you know, that, that's, that's a lie that's and, and it's been a damaging yes. lie. Um,
0: obviously, the, the, the state of Israel is always a controversial issue, politically, geographically, religiously. Um, And I think probably more so than ever, you know, in recent decades, uh, because particularly in America, so much uh, rides on what people say and think about Israel. Um, And uh, and I imagine this is not an easy one. It's never, none of these are easy, but but this one in particular... um, there's all kinds of competing concerns here. I mean, we even, you know, it's bizarre in a way, but even British politics sure. is affected by oh, yeah. the question of Israel. Oh, you know, yeah. when there are claims of anti-Semitism oh, yes. in parties, oh, yes. it's, all, oh, yes. it's all bound in in some way yes, with absolutely. it all. So this is, this is something that, that touches um, all, all areas of life in many ways. But many people asking, wanting to know what your thoughts are on the place of israel today and in if you like eschatology Mm -hmm. um and so let's start with seth in roanoke virginia who says can you speak to the role that modern israel and or the holy land people and or place has in eschatology i agree with your thinking about the eschaton and i'm asking specifically about the people and the place Mm -hmm. as in the location so um so I think, yeah, essentially goes along with you in terms of your, the way you see uh, the new mm-hmm. creation and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. on, but wants to know what about this particular
1: place and people? Right. What, right. what role do they have in there? Uh, it's a great question. And, and, and hi, Seth. I've visited Roanoke. It's a lovely place. <laughs> and uh, maybe go back there one day. Um, a lot of this emerges from a Western Christian world which had forgotten about the significance of geography and the significance of ethnicity and was thinking of Christianity as sort of an abstract spiritual thing, which actually it never was, so that there was a kind of a vacuum into which then the events of 1947-48 and the creation of the modern state of Israel has suddenly come rushing, which has happened at the same time as the early Pentecostal movements from the early years of the 20th century and the earlier Plymouth Brethren movements from the 19th century, were saying on the basis of particular interpretations of Daniel and Revelation and one or two other bits and pieces, that one day the Jews will go back to the Holy Land, and that this will somehow precipitate um, the ultimate end, whether it's Armageddon or whatever. And there's been a growth industry, it's not just the Left Behind series, but it's um, stuff that's been going on for the last 200 years, with earlier medieval antecedents and so on, that from time to time, time this thing has come up that what about the holy land is it special and and well the crusades were partly Mm -hmm. about that although partly they were a displacement activity Mm -hmm. for problems in northern europe where i start is this in the new testament it's quite clear that with jesus and the spirit and the resurrection and pentecost and the mission of the church the whole world is now god's holy land that's very clear romans 8 which on anyone's account is not a marginal passage this is one of the most central chapters in the bible talks about the inheritance of god's people and about our present journey towards that inheritance and the inheritance is the renewed creation it's not heaven and it's not one particular piece of turf in the middle east and this idea goes back to the Psalms because God promised to Abraham, Genesis 12 and 15 and 17 and 22, a particular land. But Psalm 2 takes the language of those covenant promises and says, with the coming king, with the Messiah, the whole world will be his dominion. So that it uses the same language. Um, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the world for your possession and we find exactly that in Isaiah Um, it's too light a thing for the servant to restore the tribes of Israel I will give you as a light to the nations that my glory may be known throughout the world so Those are the promises which the early Christians saw fulfilled in Jesus, and they do not speak of, oh, by the way, there's still a little bit of holy land left there, as it were. Um, That was contentious, no doubt, in the first century, but Paul's missionary strategy was beginning from jerusalem but then as in the book of acts going out to rome which once you've got to rome you've got to the world because all the roads lead there and from there etc so the idea of there still being one strip of territory which is the holy land and that's where it's all going to happen mm-hmm. is quite a major theological category mistake now having said all that after the second world war there is no doubt in my mind that the jewish peoples of europe who such as were left after the terrible amazingly wicked and horrible things that were done uh, that they needed to have a new sort of security i gather that somebody i think some british politician suggested giving them uganda and you just think (laughs) um how crass can you be what self-respecting jew would say okay we'll have that instead as it were i mean they they would have they would have made it blossom like the rose, because that's what they they did in 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 the Middle East when when more and more Jews went back there. Um, but the, the fact that then the movement to to take more and more Jews to the Middle East whatever we're going to call it, by the mm. way. Um, I, I get emails about this. Somebody told me off for referring to that bit of land as Palestine and said, um, surely you should call it Israel as it always was. And I said, actually, in the first century, there was no country called Israel. There was Judea, which was mm. the bit around Jerusalem. and There was Galilee, mm. and there was Samaria in between. And there were several other quite different and hostile um, cultures um, because this is a world before you have international borders as we now know them, where mm. countries were more organized around cities and their environs. So there's all sorts of misunderstandings there. Um, so when, we, when, when I say that Jesus was a first-century Palestinian Jew, that ought to be uncontroversial. Right. But people who get worried about the naming um, of things, because the naming of, of things, precedent yeah, it perhaps it, it, says. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So what I want to say is that the Jewish people in the 1940s desperately urgently needed the international community to say oh my goodness we've got to make this work Mm -hmm. for you and i totally get that and uh, i respect that and honor that and when i've lived there and i've known jewish friends and worked with them at the hebrew university etc i i totally honor that what i don't agree with theologically is what you have in the iconography of the Hebrew University. They've got this great long corridor with photographs of the returning exiles throughout the 20th century, with then texts from Ezekiel and Isaiah and so on, and the Israel Museum where the Dead Sea Scrolls are Mm. displayed, where um, Isaiah 40 to 55, one of the great return from exile passages, is displayed as though to say, and we now have the fulfillment of that and so it's that it's that claim and, and, and which by is that dangerous it sounds like you're very much saying no
0: to what is a very you know large and widespread movement especially in north america zionism which is yeah, that yeah, yeah. this needs to happen the yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the balfour declaration the state of israel that's all fulfilling prophecy people coming back to the lands is all part of ultimately yeah, god's yeah, plan yeah. to to bring about the return I, of I, jesus yeah, I, I
1: i met this when i when I got married, because my my late father-in-law, bless him, was an um, old-fashioned derby-eyed premillennialist. And I'd never met it before. Um, But uh, I got it full on for Mm. some years. And we had wonderful conversations about it. And I've since then realized it is, is, as you say, widespread in certain Mm. circles. And people get very uptight about it. Um, And sometimes this gets um, muddled up with the problem that much Western Christianity has de-Judaized itself, has not read the Bible as a Jewish document. And I've spent my whole career trying to read the Bible as a first century Jewish document. So I put my hand up and say, I think I'm on board with this. I mean, you, you may have these already, the same already
0: answered in that case, Jeff in Kentucky's question, but I'll read it just mm. so, so that you can expand on it. How would you respond to the dispensational idea that there is a stark separation between the church and ethnic Israel? A distinction which holds that the covenantal promises like a new rebuilt temple and the liberation of the promised land are still waiting to be fulfilled and were
1: not fulfilled in and through Jesus Christ's death, resurrection and well, the creation of a new people of God, i.e. the church. Okay, um, that case you have to scrub out several bits of Paul for a start and, and John, by the way, mm. and, and Matthew, and you know, because they all say all of that reached its climax with Jesus and Jesus himself is the real temple. This is this is what the Gospels are trying to tell us in very first century Jewish language. And the idea that he came to save us for heaven, but then there is this earthly, that, that's the problem. This is the mm-hmm. reflex of a going to heaven theology, which has a kind of Um, geographical deficit if you like and which then sees the mission to the gentiles not in terms of the just and gentle rule of jesus being extended within the world but in terms of going and snatching a few more souls away from the world that you're left with this vacuum as i say and this thing rushes in to fill it that's very unhealthy it's bad as a method of doing theology and the results are, are if anything worse so that i mean having having lived right there Within a few hundred yards of the Green Line in 1989, and having gone back several times, and my wife and I have led um, pilgrimages and so Mm on, um, I know what life was like in the Intifada for the Palestinian people, but I also know from my many Jewish friends there um, how the assumptions and the rhetoric and the whole movement works and then from talking to christians some living in jerusalem and some on both sides as Mm -hmm. it were i know it's hugely confusing and every time i've written or said anything about this i always want to add with every sentence but actually it's a lot more complicated than Mm, that yeah so um, i'm not saying this is simple or easy but i'm saying that what your friend from kentucky said um you have to erase for a start Paul saying all the promises of God find their yes in him. That's very clear in Second mm-hmm. Corinthians. And uh, once you've said that, you then start to look around and see, of course, when John is talking about... Um, out of that person's heart will flow rivers of living water. And he said this about the Spirit, which those who believed in Jesus were to receive. This is the promise of the New Temple from the book of Ezekiel. And he's saying that the New Temple promise is fulfilled in the Spirit. And it's partly because we Western Christians haven't spotted the temple resonances of so much of the New Testament um we haven't wanted to go there liberal protestantism doesn't like temples and and all that sort of thing so we've gone in a different direction Mm. and so Mm. those are all waiting to be explored but once Mm. you explore them there Mm. is no room for saying let's build a new temple you're going to have to strike out the letter to the hebrews for a start which says that sacrifices were, were, were finished with jesus
0: Well, the podcast is brought to you by Premier in partnership with SBCK and NT Wright Online. And if you're on Tom's teaching courses in video format, then NT Wright Online is basically the place to go. And we've got a fresh, brand new offer for podcast listeners Tom's latest video course, Reading Scripture in Public, available absolutely free. Now, the New Testament began as letters and other documents that Jesus' followers read out loud together. Those listening experiences were so transformative that those listening audiences became churches and those documents became scripture. Well, now you can learn how reading the Bible out loud together can revolutionize your faith. Again, reading scripture in public, taught by Tom Wright on video, is available free to podcast listeners. Just go to ntwightonline.org forward slash There's a couple of questions about the way this plays out, especially in the USA. I'll read both of these, and and you can sort of take both of them at the same time. Sheree in Denver asks, I'd love to hear Dr. Wright talk about the role of evangelicals in the Zionist movement. I know there are sincere Palestinian Christians that Western evangelicals don't seem to apply the Sermon on the Mount to. Uh, So I assume she's referring there to to the issues over the land and so on, um, and the way that uh, some evangelicals in the Zionist movement uh, are very insistent on on the certain ways of treating um, Palestinians and so on. Joshua in Portland also asks, As Christians, how are we to handle Israel? Being raised in the United States, the treatment of the modern nation of Israel has been burned into my evangelical upbringing. We're taught that we should bless Israel, which, after unpacking unpacking it, seems to mean monetary support, governmental alliances, and weapons sales. We're warned not to curse them by withholding these things. Several Christians I've talked to try to point to natural disasters being linked to times the United States has interfered with Israel. It's become deeply ingrained in American politics, with Christians supporting unsavory characters, to say the least, Mm. as Mm. long as they make a strong stand for Israel. It's gotten to the point where it feels like an addendum to the gospel itself. So we can can sort Mm. of tell where Joshua obviously stands on that issue. How much do you have sympathy for the way he he sees that?
1: I I very much understand the problem. I haven't seen it too much full on because I suspect that people who take the views he's describing tend not to turn up at my lectures um, (laughs) uh, or or not to express all this so vividly, though I have had emails and, and comments. And, of course, in Britain as well, there are many people who are on the lookout for anyone who says anything at all critical of the present government policies in Israel. And I want to say again and again... I am very critical of things that my own government in Britain does. That doesn't make me anti-British. It makes me very pro-British and wanting to see it done well. So the idea that I criticize Benjamin Netanyahu for some particular policy doesn't mean I'm anti-Israel. I want to say very firmly, I do believe, as I said, that from the 1940s onwards, the Jewish people globally needed to have a place where they would be secure and where the international community would say, now, let's be stable and have this well organized etc it was not well done at the beginning because the original boundaries were very insecure and very vulnerable i, I get that i've i've walked up and down in samaria and seen how narrow the original settlement was at the same time i know palestinian families who were simply driven out of their ancestral homes and off their ancestral um, vineyards or whatever or olive trees um and given either no compensation or just a, a, a grubby refugee camp, where they still are. Um, and I, as I say, it's more complicated than that, but I understand both mm, of those mm. very clearly from personal experience. And I'm thinking of people whose faces I can mm, see yeah. um, sitting and talking to me. And, uh, and so the idea of evangelicals feeling that they have to be pro-Israel in whatever that means, I, one of the things that needs to be said is that's very different in Britain from America. Um, There are some evangelicals self-identifying in Britain who would take a line rather like that, probably not so strident, but the great majority wouldn't at all. And Mm -hmm. I grew up as uh, a fairly typical British evangelical in in my teens and early 20s. I think I never, ever, ever heard any of this from the great leaders like John Stott or Jim Packer or Michael Green or Dick Lucas. Um, This was not on the radar. And so there's a big gulf between what thinks of itself as evangelical in Britain, what thinks of itself as evangelical in America. And in America, that has been bound up for all sorts of interesting historical and cultural reasons, with a sense of America's own identity. And it's partly going back to the founding fathers of America as the new promised land. So then identifying with other people who have promised lands or whatever, as though they sort of belong together. And then it's been mixed up with all sorts of other things but particularly with the dispensationalist theology and politics, which your, your correspondent is referred to. And so when
0: it, they, a, a scripture is taken from the Old yeah, Testament yeah. which says, I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, that was for a time and place, not for
1: as it were um, the, the new covenant you, you then this then forces you to do the complicated thing of reading the new testament and seeing what it says about the fulfillment of the promises and the new testament is very specific some people say oh you're just swapping israel for the church and absolutely not okay um jesus himself as israel's messiah and so many christians have just treated the word christ as a proper name and they've forgotten that it means messiah the messiah is the one in whom israel's destiny is fulfilled so if we say this is all fulfilled in jesus that isn't over against israel that's this is how israel's own story promises destiny came to its fulfillment and with all that that means and then by the spirit those who are jesus people become renewed israel people not by replacement but by enlargement and paul is quite clear about this of course this all comes to a head in Romans chapters 9 to 11 which would be the subject for about a year's <laughs> lectures and I've done those again and again and written about it and, but there is so much misinformation mm. um, in one of the previous American presidential elections there was an article I think in Time magazine about one of the candidates which said that it was one of, one of the women um, said I think it's Michelle Bachman who said that she believes in the return of the Jews to their land as being prophesied in the New Testament as it is in Romans 11 and I thought <laughs> Time magazine you used to have fact checkers <laughs> who used to look at these things but but the myth has got out there that romans 11 prophesies the return of jews to the, it doesn't say mm. anything about that at all but but paul
0: in those chapters does grieve at the oh, way of many of his of fellow jews does. are absolutely have not received the message absolutely. of jesus as it's, messiah it's a very clear yeah and, and in a sense i think many people are believe that that paul believed there would be a an incoming of, of the Jews to to, 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 to Christianity yeah, yeah. Or, or to, you know, a fulfilled yeah, Judaism yeah, yeah. And, and say, well, that's still to come. There is still some kind of
1: thing God's going to do with Israel or with the Jews. Uh, having studied that passage intensively over the last 40 years, what I find myself now saying, this is Romans 11, 11 through till, mm. um, till the end, really, um, is that Paul is very careful not, as it were, to tie God's hands, Paul is addressing Gentile Christians in Rome because we have to remember the situation. He's writing in the mid-50s. Nero has become emperor. Claudius's edict banishing the Jews from Rome has been rescinded. The Jews have come back, but there's been a period, five or six or seven years, when the Roman church was basically Gentile and where Paul seems to know that a lot of the Gentile Christians were saying, well, of course, this thing may have started with the Jews, but thank goodness, we've got rid of them, because we didn't, we never liked them anyway. And there's a sort of a proto-Marcionism, a proto-sense of, well, the God of Israel isn't really the God of Jesus. And Paul is saying, absolutely not. This is the one God. And if you start talking like that, then watch out, because you're in trouble. So he doesn't doesn't have a particular timetable he is basically saying to potentially anti-jewish christians in rome watch out because actually god made promises to the people of israel and that means that just like i paul a jew am also a, a messiah person so God can save many more like that. This remnant can grow, and you should welcome them. And then he wants, in Romans 14 and 15, to say, and here's how you navigate the difficult issues of how to have a community with some Torah-observant Jews and some non-Torah-observant Gentiles and everyone getting it together. And by the way, just to do a plug for a book, (laughs) the recent commentary on Romans by Brian Walsh and Sylvia Kiesmat, um, Romans Disarmed, has some very remarkable fictitious but very vivid um, uh, uh, little scenarios of Roman Christians trying to figure out what on earth's going on at that point I I don't agree with them all down the line but my goodness it makes you think so so you cannot simply scoop up Romans 11 and say there it is Paul is predicting some future Mm. can Paul wants to say God can do whatever Mm -hmm. God wants to do and I bet that includes a lot more Jews thank you very much so you Gentiles don't despise them that's the long and the short of it just with the final um, moments we've got on today's podcast,
0: I wonder, you talked about Paul's not putting a timetable in place, but many Christians did, do and have done um, that such sure, and such sure. events need to happen before the return sure, of Christ sure. and so on. Um, uh, and Peter, um, who comes from, I, th- I assume it's a place called Brown, though I wasn't sure if he'd simply entered his surname in, in terms of the well, it might be university, the university, Brown University. might be. Um, <laughs> wants to know about well you know it, it seems like people were expecting jesus to return within their lifetime possibly mm-hmm. uh in the new testament uh, in revelation 23 peter says that jesus declares three times that he's returning to the earth soon or quickly well it's been almost two thousand years and still no jesus granted god does exist outside of time and a day to him is a thousand years but jesus is talking to people who exist inside of time why use such potentially misleading terms like soon Quickly, and, and others have asked similar questions about, you know, it It, it seems as though in certain parts of the Gospels, yeah, Jesus yeah, is talking about his return within yeah, okay. the lifetime of his followers. Paul seems to have uh, an expectation sure, of the sure. imminent
1: parousia, as it's
0: called. Um, what's your take on okay um, huge um, huge question it is um,
1: by the way there's, there's a model I don't know whether it's a mistyping or something but there isn't a Revelation 23 unless it's a new text which this <laughs> colleague has <laughs> just discovered that's a very discovered. good point I and, and, if, and, and that, it wouldn't yes. be it wouldn't be Peter saying it if it, if it did um, um, well it was Peter asking the question oh, oh sorry uh, oh, I see what was okay. meant by that Revelation but, um, 22 does say a few times I'm coming soon I think it must have um, been 22 that 22. Peter yeah, meant to sure, put sure. in there I just um, <laughs> the mind boggles. wow I wish there was another chapter of Revelation but I'm unaware of that. Yes, few yes, loose ends, yeah. yeah yeah um uh, of course this is again one more time c.s lewis who has um, uh, aslan saying to the children um, i will see you again soon and um, uh, i think his lucy says what does that mean aslan has says, i call all times soon right. um I don't think that's a cop-out. Mm-hmm. I think it was Lewis's way of saying that God doesn't work on the same time scales as we do. I don't, I, I don't think it's helpful to think of God as outside time. I'm not quite sure really what that mm-hmm. means when God mm-hmm. made a good world, which is uh, a forward-moving world, as mm-hmm. it were. However, the quote from Second Peter about one day with the Lord is a thousand years and vice versa, that, that is pretty important. Mm-hmm. And I often think in this connection of the Jewish people between when they were in Babylon and when some of them at least came back to Judea and Galilee. And for those 400 years, they were praying, they were singing the Psalms, they were waiting, they were struggling, they were trying to be obedient, they're trying to keep Torah, and praying for a Messiah, for a turnaround, for a real return from exile, etc. 400 years, a long time, half a millennium. And finally, those prayers were extraordinarily answered in ways that they weren't expecting Mm -hmm. but when they like the two on the road to Emmaus when they suddenly realized oh my goodness this was what the scriptures are about all along so um it seems to me that's a model for how we should hold our eschatological expectations that yes God will bring the whole thing together there will be a moment when we will say of course this was how it had to happen even though we hadn't seen it coming now The question of in their own lifetime, yes, the early Christians, because Acts 1 says this same Jesus will come in the same way that you Mm. saw him go, they expected that this would be at any time, Mm. which meant, they thought, in their own lifetime. Paul in 1 Corinthians is quite clear that he will be among those who don't sleep, who don't die ahead of time, but he will be changed when Jesus returns, transformed because God is going to transform the whole creation and our bodies along with not not come and take us away to heaven that's the mm. spurious reading of first <laughs> thessalonians 4 by the time he writes two corinthians he's been through a huge crisis and i mm. described that in my b- biography very well, yeah. um and uh, partly as a result of that but also what he says in philippians where he clearly is facing the possibility of a death sentence he knows that he might well die ahead of time that doesn't bother him and As we see, if we go on from Paul into the writings we call the Apostolic Fathers, into Clement, Ignatius, and then 2nd century people like Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, Tertullian, you'd have thought that if the early message had been, this must happen within 40 years, they would be really panicking. There is no sign of that. The people who have done the detailed study Mm. of those writers say that that, that they all believe this could happen at any time. Mm. It doesn't bother them that it hasn't happened within a generation. This is another displacement thing. It's because what is going to happen within a generation is the fall of Jerusalem. And that did happen. Right.
0: And, and, you, and you've obviously covered that in, yeah, in other podcasts it, yeah, where people, in your view, that but, obviously but Mark, what people have thought of Jesus talking about his return is actually talking it, it, exactly, about this. Exactly. This, this because, Jerusalem. because
1: if Jerusalem and its temple are the place where heaven and earth are held together, then if that's going to be destroyed, what other language is appropriate other than the sun and the moon being darkened and so on? Um, and the vindication of the Son of Man is his exaltation to world sovereignty, not his coming down Um, in return those are key exegetical moves and within that we can take the pressure off the idea that oh dear it didn't happen within a generation therefore something's gone horribly wrong do you think as we finish today's podcast
0: we should still rather like those early christians be living in the expectation if it
1: could be tomorrow, hmm. it could be. It could be today. Yeah, no, absolutely. I remember my theological college principal saying something about this and, and somebody saying, principal, it could be tomorrow. And he said, why tomorrow? And she well, well, it could be at any time. Well, so why not today? <laughs> <laughs> oh, OK, fine.
0: <laughs> well, I suppose, yes, um, Jesus had things to say about being ready at yep, any time yep. of the day or night yeah, for the return a- of the bridegroom
1: absolutely and those are i think deliberately vague mm. um because jesus isn't doesn't want us to be thinking about timetables he wants us to think about faithfulness and, and and following and that's what it's all about well thank you for being with us again uh, <laughs> my on pleasure. The
0: podcast, god willing this will be broadcast before <laughs> before jesus returns to claim his kingdom but um in, in any case uh it's been great to spend some time thank with you. you again thank you very time. much Well, thank you for joining us for today's Think Fest. Next time, we're answering your questions on the problem of evil and living as Christians in today's world. Do make sure you're subscribed for the regular newsletter, bonus content and prize draws too over at askntright.com. And if you want to join me at another sort of Think Fest in the USA, why not go and check out unbelievable live in la it's going to be two days of great conversation about christian faith culture atheism and more at costa mesa in california it's on the 11th and 12th of october and features among others professor john lennox if you like nt right i'm pretty much a guarantee that you'll like professor john lennox as well more information about that over at unbelievable for now thanks for being with us and see you next time You've been listening to the Ask NT Write Anything podcast. Let other people know about this show by rating and reviewing it in your podcast provider. For more podcasts from Premier, visit premier.org.uk slash podcasts.